0: I love talking to people that are smarter than me. <laughs> um, which is almost every podcast I do. and it, it, it ups me. It ups my level. It ups my game. And that's important. It's humbling. It's I think necessary. It's, you know, checks whatever little ego I might have. And that's a good thing um some of these people i taught you know princeton professors and finalists and award winners and you know these are some heavy duty people and i i try to treat every podcast with respect and again some are like some of these conversations flow like butter some of them are you know they're just like it feels kind of like an interview and I'm, i'm learning as this goes along, too, um, you know, Zoom podcasts are really fucking weird, uh, especially starting out as a podcaster via Zoom, like I'm doing. I haven't done a one in-person podcast yet. Um, it's even more weirder on the phone, and I also do them. Really early, like I'm. I'm. You know, so a lot of these authors are living on the East Coast, and they want to do it in the morning too. So they're like, "Yeah, let's do a 10 a.m. podcast," which is you know 7 a.m. nsf SF. And like I'm, you know, I'm getting up at like six. I'm, I'm doing, and it, it, it got me thinking about, you know, all these old school radio people back in the day. <clears throat> you now, growing up as a kid, you know, Howard Stern for sure and now that I'm older, I've been listening to a lot of old, uh, for some reason, I, I've gotten now into OB and Anthony, but I'm like listening to their old shit on YouTube, but like those guys they were getting up at, you know they talk about it, I feel like they talk about it every single show that they they did, they woke up super early and, you know, at 6am that fucking red light turns on and it's go time um, and so I'm not saying that I'm you know, I'm not doing a four hour show with, you know Ads and shit. Um, I'm doing like 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, Some are getting longer than an hour, which is cool. Um, But yeah, you know, and so doing talking to professors at 6:30 a.m. over a laptop about you know the process of writing for me is you know it's pretty fucking intense. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. It's like waking up to take to go to a lecture, literally. To, but you know, obviously, it's not a lecture. We're joking around. We're having fun. But you know, I gotta be alert. I have to constantly be not only paying attention to what they're saying at the time, but I have to, you know, if they go on a four-five minute ramble, I have to remember what they said at the beginning of that ramble in order to like bring it back all around. But at the same time, also pay attention to what they're saying to me at the moment, and. You know, it, it like these conversations are waves you know like i can i can easily pick up in the tone of a person's voice when they're ending a thought or if they're about to you know begin another train of thought and i'm learning to kind of navigate those waters <clears throat> um and that's cool I, I i'm all about learning i'm all about being uncomfortable you know i, I I want to get better at this. Um, again, it's not the best way to fucking talk to someone via a laptop, but you know, it's what it is right now. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Once I start doing these live, I'm curious how people are going to, you know, talk to me then. And also, is this only a book podcast? I don't think so. I can talk to fucking anybody. Um, so I'm going to start reaching out to other people. Um, but creatives, you know, people that inspire me to be a creative. I want to tailor it to people who are, you know, hopefully on the same page as me. Um, you know, always keep it revolved around, obviously, myself, duh. Because <clears throat> I got to finish writing this book. Um, and that's what this podcast really is all about, is me finishing writing this book. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I get turned on by... Painters and you know, sculptors and mus- obviously musicians and conductors and all these f- things. Um, so why not try to cast a wider net um, and just talk to you know, all these other kind of people? Um, but that being said, when you are talking to an Ivy League educated author or professor or whatever, 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 all the things that I am not... I'm super conscious of how I kind of come off, But at the same time, I need to be funny. I need to be goofy. I need to be who I kind of am, who I like to be. you know am I, I in my, you know if you ever meet me, this is exactly how I talk in, you know in normal life, super congested and trying to be humorous. And nothing really changes. So you know, I want these authors and these people to you know see that side of me, but at the same time, take me seriously. I'm not going to get anything out of them or I'm not going to get what I want out of them if they can't take me seriously. Like, nothing's better than, get, you know, some of these authors, like, crack a smile at, at you know at something maybe they normally wouldn't. <laughs> but then some of them curse more than me. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's interesting to think about this. It's interesting to think about, you know, always not about, you know, your appearance. Yes, obviously, but how you talk to people and how you, you know, how you just use your your language, you know, whatever that is. And I'm not talking about, you know, English, Spanish, Italian. I'm talking about, you know, how you talk to people, how you communicate to people and try to be conscious about, you know, how people are taking that in. Don't ad- don't necessarily change who you are. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that, yeah, you know, just be aware <laughs> of what you're saying. Um. Yeah. All right. Give us a follow on Instagram, Writing Friction, Twitter, Friction Writing, and please, 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 just share, 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 and uh, yeah, enjoy the next episode. Thanks. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Elliot Ackerman. How are you, Elliot?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, not too bad, man. Um, you're looking pretty cozy. Where are you right now? What's life going on like for you at the moment? You've lived a crazy life so far. How does this measure up?
1: <laughs> um, I'm in New York City where I live half the time. So uh-huh. uh, in uh, my apartment. Yeah. yeah. That's where I'm talking to you from.
0: I mean, is it kind of just dead there at this point? I grew up in North Jersey and, you know, I went to school in New York. I go back twice a year. What's it like right now? What's the vibe? I mean, you hear
1: so many different horrors. No, it's not. It's not dead. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, you have these sidewalk cafes everywhere now, which I actually really, really like. So yeah. and hopefully they will stick around after yeah. COVID. So it sort of feels like you're kind of in your, you know, a little bit more European now. Um, yeah. But the weather is like getting cold and people are like very stubbornly sticking to the sidewalk cafes. So I think today I was walking around and like, you know, people are out there with their puffy jackets and, you know, beanies and eating their, you know, eating their hamburger or their spaghetti or whatever. They don't, you know, they just don't want to have to be holed up in their apartments.
0: It's normal. I mean, San Francisco is kind of like 55 degrees all the time anyway. so we're used to that. Yeah, there's a place across the street from me. They have a whole set up sidewalk heat lamps, the whole thing, but they're doing business and it's good. Um, I, I own a dog walking business. That's how I pay my rent in San Francisco. Um, and that's how it allowed me to be a writer. Uh, but I'm super stoked to talk to you. Um, to, you're the first author that I've had a chance to talk to who I feel like actually writes about things that they know. <laughs> um, you, uh, for people who don't know, Elliot's smiling. Uh, for people who don't know, you uh, served eight years in the Marine Corps, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to, you know, we can talk about how you got there, but I'm super interested in, were you writing before you got into the Marines? Was it something you started to do while you were in the Marines? What, is there any combination? Cause that's what you write about.
1: Yeah. Um, the, uh, my mother is a writer, so I grew up around writers. So it didn't seem like the w- totally weirdest thing to go do. Yeah. And then uh, I studied history and literature in college. Uh, and then I went in the Marines. And, um, and while I was in the Marines, I was not writing. I've always been a reader, you know, I've always, you know, I guess, you know, like worked with words, but I wasn't like writing fiction or anything like that. Um, and then when, uh, but I always sort of suspected I might write. And then when it got time to, you know, leave the Marines, I was going to go do, you know, whatever was next for me in life. Uh, that was when I kind of decided I wanted to try my hand at writing, um, and, and started making like my first, what I would call serious efforts at writing.
0: What were you reading before you started writing?
1: Oh, geez, everything. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I just always, you know, I just always, I've always read, and I think, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but, so, you know, writing and reading go hand in hand. Well, that, I mean, some people say the opposite, but I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have to, to be a, to write, yeah. a writer, you have to read. You're always reading. You know, I'd say I spend as much time, if not more time, probably more time reading than I do, than I do writing. Uh, uh, so... Uh, and so that's just always been always been part of my life.
0: Um are you the kind of guy, you know, I I was in the marine corps, but I'd like to impose discipline within my own life, um self-taught discipline. Are you the kind of guy who you wake up every day, you, you know, would you read at the same time, you write at the same time, are you a routine kind of guy or how do you go about, you know, spending time reading, spending time writing? How do you Yeah.
1: Um listen, I I'm very regimented in how I work, um, and I and I like the regimentation. Um, but there are many, many ways you know one can be a writer. So I myself, you know, I have kind of like, hey, if I'm not working on a project, this is how many words I'm going to do today. This is where the project's going. Um, if I'm rev- if I'm editing, this is how many pages I'm editing today, and I kind of make you know short term and long term goals for myself, um, and that keeps me. It just it keeps me sane. And it, it uh, and and when I'm kind of in the groove of that, it actually makes me happy. It gives me a lot of satisfaction because uh, I feel like I'm, you know, slowly summiting up this mountain. Um, but you know, my wife is a writer uh, as okay. well, and she sort of works very, uh, very differently. She will be thinking about something for a long time, and we'll all see her days, and each one of her days will be a little different, and. You know, it will look as though she is not necessarily working on her book or working on uh, she has her rights for film. So, you know, working on a screenplay, uh, but, um, but then uh, all of a sudden I'll say, you know, you know, what's going on? What's your work on? She'll go oh, like, you know, I wrote, you know, 8000 words the last two days or whatever. You know, and I what I realized is she is working it out in her head. Mm-hmm. And then once it's like completely, she's got a head full of steam, it's about to go, then she kind of just sits down at the computer and lays it all out on the computer, which she's already figured out in her head. Whereas whereas I have to sit there and kind of just really grind it out and extricate it from myself each day. Um, So, you know, I I think there are, there's no one way to go about it. But if you were to like categorize me as a, a species of writer, I would say I am of the species of, you know, grind it out most definitely.
0: And that's not to say that when you're not sitting down at the computer or whatever it is, when you're writing that you're not also working on the book in your head as well. Right. I mean, when you're deep in a project, you're living with it. I mean, even subconsciously.
1: Yeah, you are. But I actually have a discipline. I also enforce on myself is I don't and really try not to have myself be thinking about a book when I'm not working on it. Okay. What I, you can, I, I've found you can also, you can also write out your work in your head and then you go down and you try to do it the next day and you can't do it as well. Mm-hmm. Like if I, so I will, when I finish my work day each day, I like put the project into my subconscious, like it's a separate room and I shut the door on it. And I like let it kind of just mature there. And then I read and I think about other things and I live my life. and I deal with my kids and I walk my dog and whatever else I'm doing. Um, but then, you know, another thing for me is I read a lot of journalism too. And the journalism also helps uh, with my, with my writing. Uh, like kind of going between the two modes.
0: So, so I'm going to try to paint a picture and if it's totally off base, let me know. Mm -hmm. Um, you're in, you're serving the Marines in the middle East at this time when you started. Yeah. Right. Um, you were part of the immediacy of after 9, 11, um, you're part of all that. Right. Are you in the middle east are you thinking about that first kind of story at all are there any notions whatsoever it was literally once you were done it was kind of like let's just do this next move and bada bing bada
1: boom yeah i wasn't sitting there you know like in iraq or in afghanistan being like oh yeah this is going to be a great scene in my there novel are
0: authors who have done that right there are some i was, authors.
1: I was no i was not thinking that uh, i kind of had this suspicion like Ah, you know, someday I might write, maybe I'll, who knows, maybe I'll write something about this. Who knows? There were, you know, there were books about uh, war that I had read that had been very important to me, um, that I'd read before I went to war and some of them that I had, I reread after I'd gone to war for the first time and had derived different meanings from them. You know, there's a part of me that felt like, hey, you know, you know, like, you know, these like writers like you know Jim Webb, who wrote Fields of Fire, who was a Marine, or you know obviously like guys like Tim O'Brien, um, and I felt you know that the Vietnam generation of writers they were kind of the custodians of the memory of that war, and so there was this part of me that kind of felt like oh you know maybe I'll try to do something like that, but um, but it was always it was always pretty abstract, um, and then as I was. Uh, I, I tried once or twice to see just if I could write. I mean, almost like a journal entry. Yeah. Well, it always felt like I get too sensitive. Like, oh, no, I don't know. how want to do this. This doesn't yeah. feel right. And it was actually when I was in Af- I was in Afghanistan or what would become my last deployment. I made the decision that I was going to resign, and like this was it for me. Uh, and my son Hokie said it was literally like the next day. I started writing what felt to me like my first serious attempts. And it was almost though I needed that the psychic closure of knowing that that chapter was over for me before I could start to embark seriously on a new chapter, um, writing. And, uh, and, and, and that sort of was how things proceeded. Uh,
0: so you could, I mean, did you kind of come at it in an, I mean, I came into writing in an ass backward way. I was touring in bands forever and then mm-hmm. I went to San Francisco. And then once that kind of stopped happening, uh, I realized, well, I have this wealth of knowledge. I can write about this. Uh-huh. Um, I ended up writing a boxing novella first, but now I'm working on a, a rock and roll book, right? Um, I have never taken a creative writing class in my life. Have you? Neither have I. Okay. You know, it seems to be in – this is for people listening to the podcast. It seems to be a, a running theme. It's There's a lot of authors out there who have never once – taken creative writing class um do you th- do you look back i mean do you think you wish you would have taken any of that stuff would it have kind of fucked up what you were doing now um
1: you know i so i i i have, you know i have a number of friends who are writers too and a number of whom are are graduates of you know like very fine mfa programs and we'll talk about it sometimes and um, you know, it's tough to, to, to know what you've not experienced, but kind of the consensus among them when I'm like, how did this MFA help you? You know, I'm like, I'm like, it's like, there's some class you took with someone that like blew your mind. And, yeah. and most of them, point what they will say is like what the MFA gave them and the writing degree gave them, uh, was one, the time to write. So like the ability, cause most of the best programs were, you know, are fully funded. So it's like, I had two years. And I could just write and I needed that time um, and a community of other writers just you know a hand two three four however many people just people to show your work to to talk to just to it's a pretty lonely endeavor so when I talked to those writers they were given time to write and they were given the uh kind of a community of other writers and a luxury I, in my in my own I'm sorry a luxury yeah, a luxury. But you know, but I was, but I look back at my own development, and I'm like, huh, okay. I'm like, time to write. Like I got out of the Marines, and I had a cup for a couple years. I had jobs that were, you know, forgiving. In like there was time on the margins, I could organize my day in a way where I hadn't. I made enough time for myself to write, mm-hmm. and then I just sort of by being out there, met the people that kind of became like my people, my community of writers, you know, close friends of mine who are still the people I kind of kick my work around with. Um, uh, and so I, w- so like, oh, interesting. in my own experience, I wound up basically replicating that. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of, you know, and I, I think, listen, the, 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 the places where I learned the most, uh, is by reading. You know, I read other writers mm-hmm. it's the I've done over years kind of, you know, I feel like it's formed my sensibility, what I'm interested in, you know, and whatever type of style that I have.
0: So when you were writing those first pages, were you bouncing these ideas off of anyone at that time? Was it kind of, were you the kind of person like, let's just get this first draft on the paper and then worry about it. Can you think back to that first book?
1: Yeah. So I started, I, I in short order, started writing a novel that was sort of like a pretty autobiographical novel about, like, my time in the war and themes, you know, that I had taken away from those experiences. And I did that totally quietly, not telling anybody that I was doing it. Okay. Uh, Because because it sort of felt silly to me. (laughs) It felt like um, to say, like, I want to be a writer. It felt like saying, like, you know, I want to dance. You hey, know? That's what it I is, though. You know, someone has, has to, to dance. Pub- I hadn't published <laughs> anything. I hadn't published anything. Yeah. You no, know, I, you know, I just wanted, I didn't know if I could do it. And I was like, yeah. you know, just, I had a surgeon. I was like, hey, you know, you need to shut your mouth and see if you can even do this. Yeah. Um, before you're walking around telling everybody that you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I very quietly kind of worked on this for a while. And then, um, and I had a couple people read it. You know, I trusted, and then uh, I was very fortunate, and uh, that I found an agent in in really short order. And at first, I was like, "Wow, like this is actually going great." You know, like, were you
0: were you submitting the, it, to agents, or was it kind of just happenstance that you met them?
1: No, I um, I had a I had a sort of a distant fa- like a family friend who I kind of had or had met sort of professionally who had worked in publishing for a long. Time. Oh, okay, okay. He's sort of an older, cantankerous guy, but he, I mean, he basically said to me, like, Elliot, you know, you are in the war, and so I feel like I have to read your book, so I'm going to okay. read your book. And then he called, me, and he called me and said, hey, I, I, and I quote, I called you, Elliot, I read your book, and you know what? I don't think it's a piece of shit, so I'm going to give it to one other person, and I'm going to see if they like it. And this was an old editor, an editor who he worked with professionally. That editor liked it. That editor passed it on to an agent, and then, you know, when of them I had, you know, an agent who's still my agent. Great. Uh-huh. Um, and um just, you know he's fantastic and um and that agent was like all right great i love this you know we're gonna go out here's a list of the editors i want to give it to. and i kind of this you know i didn't really know but i was like yeah wow well, this sounds, sounds great. great and yeah this looks good to me and we went, out, we went out with the book went out big with the book and then you know one week past, two weeks past, six weeks passed. you know, and I had a, you know, a list of rejection letters and uh, everyone had rejected the book. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I sort of had had that experience. I was like, wow. And uh, I had started working on what would, what was my second book? Was like uh,
0: you were trying to get that first book off the ground.
1: Yeah. I was like, okay, I finished this book. What do I do now? I yeah. have an idea for a second book. Well, like, you know, what else you we do? We might as well start working on it. Did you have that
0: idea for the second book already in your head? Yeah, I kind of had a sense of what it was going to
1: uh, be. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to work on this. And so I started working on it. As soon as we sit there, we got a mess of rejection letters. Um, you know, I still stand by it, but I think it was a good book. You know, there were some marketing things. There was a very similar book that was about to come out that uh, a publisher had paid a whole bunch of money for. Uh-huh. And it was interesting at this point in publishing, uh, actually there wasn't a single book-length work of fiction by a veteran about the wars that a major publisher had published yet.
0: This is this like mid-2000s? It's 2012. Oh, and I'm sorry, 2012, yeah.
1: There have been a ton of memoirs. There have been a ton of nonfiction books. Uh, heaps of them, but actually no major publisher had published a work of fiction by a veteran at
0: that point. Interesting.
1: Uh, and so one publisher had made this major play on one book, it kind yeah. of everyone was waiting to like prove the marketplace. Um, and like many of the rejections that novel got were like, Hey, we just don't like this book, but there yeah. were enough. And they're like, Hey, we like it, but mm-hmm. you know, we don't know if this other book's going to work. You know, we don't know if this goes to work. So not for us anyway, but uh, you know, I bring that up for anyone who's listening that, you know, like it stings, rejection stings. Like this was, <laughs> that, it was like this very close to the bone book about my war experiences. Um, and You know, got a lot of my agent was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm still up to working with you. Like we got some feedback on your first book, Elliot. Like, I don't maybe see if there, if you want to try to move some things around and re-edit it, Maybe we can, you know, you, you'll have another chance to, you know, you know, give these editors might give it a second look. And he said, and you're working on this other book. So like, why don't you finish that? And so uh, not about nine months pass and I did all that work and I finished the other book and I revised the first book. I handed both of them to my agent he read him and said, "Listen, I like the second book. It's fresh. Let's go out with that." Uh, without boring you with too many details, we, we managed to sell it in pretty short wow. order, and kind of the rest is history. And that second book is Green on Blue, uh, which was my first novel. You know, my first novel, but my first novel was actually my second novel. And I look back at that experience, uh, and actually I really value it now because um, I like I like to say that you're not a real writer until two things have happened to you. The first is that you've done a reading that like four people have shown up to I've done that. <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone has, there's there's two yeah. types of writers, the ones that will admit it and the ones that won't. Oh, yeah. And, um, and the second, uh, is that you've written a book that nobody's bought. And once you've had those two experiences, you're kind of bulletproof. Uh, because every time you sit down to start a new project, like I got an idea, I think it might be a book. I don't know. And you're like, Well, do I want to start it's so much time? It's like, you know, in my mind, I'm always like, Hey, What's the worst thing that's going to happen, huh? You're going to write your book. No one's going to fucking buy it. Yeah. Like, yeah, bullshit. You've already been through that. You're fine. Yeah. And I go. And so it actually, has, it, it, at a very early point in my career, I had that experience. And having it now, it actually, it helps me. Uh, it helps me approach my work with less fear. And that fear can be a huge creative inhibitor. And so I don't have that fear.
0: And so you said that first book you were writing went on to become the second book.
1: The first book I was writing has never been published.
0: Oh, so no. Okay. Yeah. Again, another running theme on the podcast.
1: <laughs> you know, it's sitting on my laptop. Maybe some. Maybe someday, I, like I said, I still think it's a good book. Yeah. Um, you know, I did my second and I you know, I had ideas for what I want the next one to be. And and book, similar books to that first book. I, like I said, it was sort of a quasi-autobiographical war novel. There's been a bunch of those. And I like don't feel at this point in my career, I want to go publish one of those. Oh, definitely. So, um, so it's just sort of sitting there. Um, so it's like, it's like, a, it'll be, maybe someday it'll be like a B-side track.
0: Well, it's also, but you could also look at it as an education in
1: writing, right? I mean, yeah, totally. well, I, it's an education in the creative process, you know, and that you're going your to creative process. Yeah. Or any, you know, for me, for my creative process, but, um, you know, you're going to get kicked, you know, you're going to get kicked around, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, and yeah, you know, the difference is that, you know, the people who stick it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum at this point. But I was rejected by seventy three agents for Mm -hmm. the book that I tried to get, and then I I ended up self publishing it, which Mm -hmm. I'm still I'm happy I did. It's a novella, but at the same time, you know, to have the I've talked talking to more and more authors about these first books just sitting on laptops, never seeing the fucking light of day, being thrown in a volcano, giving it to the dog to eat. All these things. It's important for people to hear that. you know, every day when you're when I'm working, it's when you get stuck on these things and having the dis- discipline to push forward. Know that what you were saying before, like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? I've already eaten shit. Uh, you know, what else can I do?
1: You just yeah, I think it's important. I think writers often uh, have a tendency to kind of hide their failures and not want to talk about them and feel like it in some way means they are a failure. I think that's facts. I think that's how we don't support each other, you know, artistically. Like it's it's it's, it's rough out there. It's rough out there for everybody, but you got to keep going. And I think you have to have not only the discipline to sit at the desk and do your work, but you also have to have the mental discipline to separate um the business and publishing side of your life and the creative side of your life. Mm. And sometimes they're going to be perfectly aligned and sometimes they're not. And that's okay. Um, There isn't anyone who has walked this road, you know, who hasn't had that experience of them not aligning the way that that you want. Um, But the people, you're not going to make it if like, here's something you shouldn't, no one should do is like write your book, finish it, Send it out and say, I'm never going to write a thing until this book comes out and is a huge bestseller. I'm not going to, you know, you'll you'll never make it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You got to just keep, you got to keep going. You just got to keep going.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And when you started writing this, again, you're writing about something you know intimately well. Um, I know, are you aware of Jack Carr? Do you know the author Jack Carr? No. Oh, okay. Um, he's been, he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast and he's a dude, he, you know, he's very specific in his writing You know, he's talking about the gun, you know, the exact model of the sniper being used, um, you know, the scope and things like that, the bullet grade, all that kind of stuff. Was that something you were trying to do in your own writing? Or are you super into specifics and things like that? Cause we're working in fiction, right? So you can create any world you want. You can do anything you want. Um,
1: yeah having that wealth of knowledge obviously you can walk yeah nothing against, nothing, nothing against him i don't think any of that stuff is interesting uh-huh you know like uh, you know there's a great faulkner quote he says the only thing worth writing about is the human heart in conflict with itself uh-huh uh, like that's what interests me and i think um i've written about that in war i've written that about that. In, you know the theme of marriage, the theme of divorce, raising children. Like those are the things that really interest me is, is these, you know, the, these paradigms where you kind of have characters who are irreconcilable with one another and are in situations that are irreconcilable and then how they behave. Um, That's what, that's what interests me. Um, So listen, if I, you know, I, if I've done expertise to, you know, to give a situation, it's, you know, for it to feel true and to feel honest. Yes, of course you have to have that expertise. Like my most recent book, uh, Red Dress and Black and White All takes place in Istanbul. And I lived in Istanbul for about three years. And so oh, yeah. when I'm writing about- I've
0: been there one time. <laughs>
1: okay. You know, when I'm writing about the streets and the way that you know, I, I obviously have to describe that okay. you know, very accurately. Okay. Um, but that, that level of detail, is not truly what the book is about. The book is about, I hope, themes that are more universal and themes that people will identify with, um, whether or not they've ever been to that city and at one time when I've written about war, whether or not they've ever been to war. Um, so I hope that it kind of, that the, that the books transcend the specific and like start to take on the story, start to take on the sense of the universal.
0: Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think the specifics can be nauseating at times. Um, when you yeah. want the story to kind of just keep going, and you're getting stuck on these small little details, I'm re- You ever read any Saul Bellow?
1: Um, yeah, I definitely read. Yeah, read Saul I'm, I'm,
0: So I'm I'm reading Herzog, Yeah. And at times, again, we're talking about details. He's writing about Chicago. You know, he's writing about New York. And at times, the details become so maybe because I know those cities so well. I personally don't need all those details. Um, but I agree with you. It can be nauseating at times. I'm not the biggest fan of it
1: either. Um, I figured out maybe, you know, have, like what are they, what are they serving? You know, what are the details? Serving? How are yeah. they serve the story? And everyone has their own style. You know what yeah. I mean? So, you know, um, I'm not against details. Yeah. Sometimes when you talk about, you know, like what, give, like what gives a person, you know, an, in, in, war, I would say what gives a person the real, like the type of authority if someone's writing about war, where I'm like, wow, I'm really impressed. Like that, that person knows their stuff. Yeah. It's not, that they're going to be able to explain to me exactly how to like adjust the windage on a you know, on a Remington sniper rifle. Like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. To me, that's not what is impressive. Yeah. What was impressive to me is that they kind of understand at a more profound level, some of the really like, just nuanced uh, variables that exist, you know, within war the way, you know, it can be like magnificent and terrifying and, you know, like some of the, you know, the, I would say, um, you know, the conflicting paradigms that exist around, uh, you know, heroism and cowardice and like, you know, things like, you know, Tim O'Brien, when he writes that like going to Vietnam was the, was a choice of cowardice on my part, like, you know, just stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, wow. Like that's profound. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets it. I understand what he's saying. So, you know, so to me, like those are the details um, and I'm using war as an example, but with any subject where I'm like, wow, you know, like, huh, that I've never thought about it that way. And that, wow, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's what I, in the books I read, you know, th- that, that's what I, that's what I enjoy in those books is when um, it really makes me look at a subject in a new way.
0: Yeah. As a New York author, I'm looking at my bookshelf, um, an, another New York author, uh, his newest book kind of get, gets into this. Uh, uh, do you ever read any Column McCann
1: uh, a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: he it's wrote a brand. I, I'm going to butcher the name. I keep forgetting. Aparagon. Aparagon. His. It's his brand new novel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. No, I know. I'm familiar. I haven't read it, but I'm familiar.
0: Oh, I'm a big fan. But it, it's it's taking place between two characters. One's an Israeli. One is a Palestinian. And right. the I, you know he puts you in that world. He puts you in that city. He puts you in those places. But at the same time, he's also creating a story people coming together, unity, and things like that um when you can you talk about getting into journalism then how did you go from fiction to journalism
1: um, you know i don't i I don't see that there's a hard delineation between the two, so for me, it always felt very natural to do journalism um you know, and I write a column for a couple of a couple of outlets i, have, I have one I do at The New York Times and one I do uh often for time magazine mm-hmm. and uh to me. Oftentimes, kind of like the journalism is a first draft of my fiction. So, like issues and themes I'm wrestling with in my fiction will often go come out in a piece of journalism because something will happen. I'll something I'll see something. I'll experience something. I'm like, oh, kind of. I, you know, I want to. You know, I'm going to write about this. I'm like, oh, I'm going to write it in a column for you know, thousand uh-huh. words, fifteen hundred words, and then the ideas, as I kind of am able to express them in a column, will start to manifest into uh, a work of fiction. So, like, you know, like, for instance, um, my second novel is a book called Dark at the Crossing, which uh, all takes place uh, around the Turkish-Syrian border uh, during the Syria Civil War. Uh, That book was published in 2017. And then in 2019, I published a memoir called uh, Places and Names uh, on War, Revolution, and Returning. And if you were to read those two books in tandem, you can see there's lots of overlap. Uh-huh. Uh, and one might think, like, oh, places and names was published later. He, you know, it's like, no, actually, the pieces that are you know that are in places and names, I wrote those bits of journalism first, and then sort of some of the themes in those pieces of journalism found the, their way into Dark at the Crossing. Do you approach writing
0: fiction and writing journal- journalistic pieces the same, or do you kind of again, it's
1: a shorter piece? Um, I'd say there's a lot of overlap in in how the pieces work. You know, there are different constraints. I mean, obviously, if he's journalism, like, it has to be true. It has to – these yeah. things have to have happened. I can't just start making, making shit up. But it's not a good practice or a good habit. But I. Um, but that being said – You know, I can really pick in a piece of nonfiction. like, what am I going to, like, take my camera and, like, focus in on with, you know, a lot of, okay, this is the image I'm going to leave you with, and, like, how am I going to, what's going to be the architecture of this piece? Um, And so, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like when I'm, like, constructing a scene in a piece of journalism versus constructing a scene in a novel, uh, as long as I've got all, like, the raw material, like, I'm kind of constructing it oftentimes in the same way and, and trying to achieve many of the same effects with the reading.
0: And again, are you doing it the same time? Are you writing at the same time every day when you're doing a journalistic piece, or is it kind of just you got to get it?
1: Out? Usually, usually, you know, usually I like, I wake up, I work out, I like sit down at my desk, I make myself a little breakfast, and you know, I'm sitting there for four or five hours working.
0: What kind of working out are you doing?
1: Like running, I lift weights, or you know, uh, stuff like that. Well, I mean, that. I,
0: I, you know, I, again, one days. of my, jacks well i mean one of the things i wish if i can go back in time and do it all over again i would have joined probably the mm-hmm. try to attempt to join the marine corps at some point <laughs> in a different universe right so now older i'm trying to discipline myself in different ways but yeah no. um do you find extra i mean when i can't when i'm getting stuck creatively i'll go for a run i exercise it's the best for me
1: you know? uh, i will say the, when i look when i think back to like moments when i've been working on a project i'm yeah. kind of like you know thinking you know like in the morning i should like to think about it because i'm getting ready to work so i will start really thinking about what i'm going to work on that day i will say you know 70 percent of my breakthroughs on projects have happened while i've been exercising yeah and the other 30 percent in the shower Uh uh-huh are you a dude you write on the phone are you a voice memo kind of guy sometimes yeah if i need to be you Uh know to me i'll just give myself a voice memo Uh um Yes, yeah, so I, I, I've definitely done that. So, um, I feel like and, and frankly, a lot of ideas will come to me while I'm reading. Oh, like okay. I'll, I'll be reading something, and then an idea will pop up, and I'm like, "Oh my god, of course!" And I'll write in the margins of the book.
0: You ever find yourself when you're reading certain authors and something like that happens? Do you start to write like certain authors at times? If you're deep into,
1: yeah, not not maybe a little more before, not so much anymore. Um, but I, I, I feel like there's just, you know, I just, there's just little, now it's like kind of a, you know, it's like a palimpsest set, you know, it's been like, I'm like a, I've been written over so many times by so many authors with the ones that I've read. Um, so, you know, not as much, but, but I'll definitely like, you know, see something from that an author does that I admire and, you know, and, and realize or structurally a lot of times so I'll be like, I'll see something an author does like, Oh, that's smart. Or, you know, structurally that could help me, you know? So, mm-hmm um so i'm definitely influenced you know that's why i read i mean i'm influenced by other authors um and and that can often be often help me um and you know frankly and just sometimes just like reading a great book will will help you in your own one just because you're really enjoying a piece of fiction
0: i mean i I don't know if you're if you're into music but i mean even a great album i mean if i put on a paul simon record Mm -hmm. i can get turned on by the lyrics and you know him yeah. singing, singing about New York City is enough to kind of just blo- at least inspire me to want to sit down because sitting down and writing can be a laborious, awful fucking task.
1: Um, and it's you know, you can, it can be tough to feel like the enjoyment in it. And, yeah. and I think when you feel the enjoyment in it, you usually do it better. At least I, I know I do.
0: So. Yeah, because you had said earlier in the podcast, you know, you find enjoyment out of it. Are you conscious and you're cognizant of the fact of when you're in the writing itself, you're finding joy? Or is it when looking back?
1: Well, like, I often find no joy in it. That's or, what I'm know,
0: saying. Yeah, yeah. I
1: will often, th- th- listen, at times I find the, the greatest joy is when I've been working on something for a while. That's why yeah. I do this. And I'll start to see how it all connects. You know, like... I've I've said before, like I find my writing process is kind of like, all right, I'm going to sit at my table and I sit down at the table and I've got like a big sack. Imagine I've got this big sack next to me and in that sack are a bunch of like jigsaw puzzle pieces and I can't see in the sack. So I reach my hand in, I go in here and I'm like, all right, here. Okay. This is the piece. This piece has occurred and I start describing the piece in detail, how it looks, what it feels like. like, That's the piece. I put it on the table. I do another piece. And I'll kind of have an idea of these pieces and maybe what they, but I don't really know. I'm just describing pieces. I'm describing pieces. And sometimes I'll get like 90, 120 pages into something. And I will just have a bunch of goddamn pieces that don't really fit together. And I will get up on a project. And I've done that before. Um, But then sometimes I'll start to see how they all fit together. And then they'll all like a puzzle and they'll, all to start fitting together really quickly I'm like, oh my God, like, oh yeah, like, ah. Oh. And like I take great joy in that when I really start seeing, you know, how something fits together. Um, you know, and when that happens, you know, often it's like I'll be like two thirds or three quarters of the way through the project and I'll kind of see all and then I'll see like all the way to the end. Like it's like I'm standing on the mouth and I can see like all the way out to the sea and I'm like, oh this is awesome. This is great. well that was
0: the question I-, I-, I asked a lot of people this too. When you start a book or start a new thing, do you know the end?
1: No. You never really. know the end. Not really. Uh, so it's just every
0: day is something new. And I'm the same way. Some authors I've talked to, you know, they know the first sentence and the last sentence, and then they just got to fill the shit in between. Um,
1: you don't know well, at the. E- no, I've, I've, I've. No, I very rarely. I'll, I'll have a sense of what I think the book is about thematically mm. and how it begins, uh, and maybe generally where I think it's going. Um, but I don't, I don't know exactly. How it ends, and then usually, at some point, I'll figure out like, oh, this is how this is how it ends
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, and then I mean you know, start filling in everything in between mm-hmm. so but you know, but again the, the figuring out is uh, kind of where I get the most the most joy yeah. a lot of drafts well, I mean, there's always lots of drafts, um, but you know something I do, I mean, your listeners are interested, so like I will write my first draft and I And to really get in the mechanics. So I write my, I do about a thousand words when I'm on a project Monday to Friday. The weekend, I read over what I did the week before. I always, at the beginning of each day, I always read what I did the day before. And then I get to the end of the day and I never stop when I don't know what's going to happen. So I hit my 1000 words, but I always know what's going to happen. I usually write the first sentence for the next day like in all caps. Like, "Got to get yourself go." <laughs> well, I do the same. Yeah. I yeah. You know, I've got the next first sentence and then I've got some bulletproofs. This is what happens at the and usually as the draft gets longer like my notes at the end and like are like, you know, 10 pages of notes at the end that I'm kind of sifting through to make sure I'm going in the right direction. And then I get to the end of that draft and you know, I will have been kind of reading over each weekend. Like I read 50 pages back each weekend, each weekend, each weekend. So I'm always reading back, reading it over. Um, not editing though, you know, in any profound sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just keep, I write the whole thing out and then I get to the end and um, I go back and my second draft is usually I just put up the first draft and I retype the entire first draft. Oh, wow. Why? <laughs> it's, a little, it's a way of editing, you okay. know? So when you edit and you're editing on a draft that's already written, it's a process of elimination. Mm -hmm. And so it's to remove something is actually it's easier to keep something in than to take it out. To take it out, you have to go in there, you have to rechange to pull it out, right? Whereas if I'm retyping the whole thing, it's actually the affirmative is to include something. I have to physically include something. Mm -hmm. So it better be good because if it's not good, then it's just easier if I don't have to retype. This is dumb. That's easy for me. So, it actually makes it easier to get rid of the yeah. shit yeah, that's no yeah. good.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. If, it, if I'm typing, I'm like, this is good enough for me to be re-including into this draft. And, and I are, you just, tr- are you trusting your gut as you're doing this? my taste, and you know, my taste. It's just my taste and the story. And this is what I think is good. So, that's sort of what I've almost now all do with all my books. I retyped the entire first draft saying, I have retyped the whole thing as a way of editing. And I'm editing as I go. Uh-huh. I'm like, like, Oh, that was dumb. I It doesn't sound right. No, that paragraph gone. But whereas if it was like, I was just editing, I'm like, well, that paragraph, I'm like, Oh, it sounds okay. I'll leave it in. It's easy. Who cares? Um, and I do that, you know, kind of first to second draft. And then I've got, you know, a better draft and then, you know, I'll go usually on like my third draft, I'll print the thing out and I will read it out loud with like a pencil. You know, oh. Again, put in all the changes you know, and I kind of take it in me, and you know, then maybe by that point I'm like showing it to like one or two trusted readers and they give me their edits. Um, but maybe it's not being a prog- product of uh, MFA programs. I don't circulate my stuff super widely. You know, my wife is one of my early readers, maybe one or two other people, and then I hand it to my agent. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I have friends of mine who are, you know, like very successful writers, uh, and most of them seem to be from and they they send it out everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll tell them like, God, I'll say to them like, God, how can you send it out? It doesn't drive you crazy all this feedback. I mean, and they're like, no, i you know, I know, I know who's good at what, you know, and I know what stuff to disregard and what stuff to include. Whereas me, wow. I, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I would feel too exposed doing it that way.
0: And you were doing that from the get go, or did you have to kind of teach yourself or learn that process? A kind bit? of
1: by like the, after my first or second book, I kind of dialed in what that process was. Yeah. Um, but it was a process of figuring what works for me. You know, it's just like, that's just work. That's just, that's just what works for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're a one book at a time. You're not Danielle Steele working on seven books at once.
1: Right? No, I'm mean really like, yeah, just kind of one at a time. Uh, I mean, I'll be, you know, there might be like a time where like, like I was like, if a, I've sold a book um, and it's sitting with my editor and, sh- you know, she's like, yeah, we're going to edit it, but it's not slated for, you know, a year from now, I'll be working on something else while I'm waiting. And he you know, however many months for the edits to come in and you're working on
0: anything right now.
1: Um, yeah. I, well, I have a new book that comes out in March, the okay. uh, work of speculative fiction. It's actually the first thing I've ever co-written. Uh, and it, it's a book that imagines what it would look like if the U S and China went to war in the year 2034. <laughs> okay. 2034. OK, and I've written it with a guy named uh, Admiral Chimstavridis, and he was the commander of NATO. Wow. Uh, and uh, we actually, we've actually been friends for a while and we have the same editor. Uh, and so we decided to team up for this one. And that's a fun book. It's kind of it's, you know, it's good characters, I think. Pages turn. Um, so what, what so, was the co writing process like? It was, it was great. I think we, we had the idea for the book, you know, he, he was the original one who had the idea for the book and approached our editor who's a shared editor and our editor said, well, you and Elliot are friends. Like you should work with a novelist on this yeah. and why like, don't you and Elliot team up and do it together. And so, um, and we'd known one another for a long time before that. And we was like, well, so we said, Hey, let's like, you know, let's see if we can write a chapter together. Let's just like, see what that's like. And we had an idea of how it opened. And we like wrote the chapter together. Like, Hey, that worked. Okay. Like I bet we could, you know, we could do this. And so we, you know, just started banging out the chapters yeah. uh, of the book. So I, I, I think of doubles tennis, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit like that. You know, you know, you know, and um, you know, it's going to come out. And it was fun. It was a departure for me. Usually, my books are much more interior, um, interior to me, and um, and you know, and you're working on it all alone. And yeah. not till pretty late in the game that somebody else takes a look. Whereas this, there was it was constantly two sets of eyes on it um yeah
0: was his writing kind of motivated you was his motive was he kind of motivating you to kind of step up your game too, working alongside with someone
1: yeah i think you know, jim has written he's written a number of uh great nonfiction books and so i think for him it was fun you know working on a novel for the first time and, and for me it was fun working with someone who has you know served and played at the level that he's played at, uh, you know, as a retired four-star admiral, um, you know, who's in command of all military forces in Europe and Afghanistan. And, you know, and so, it was like, okay, Jim, like, what do you think happens next in this, this <laughs> plan? And he kind of walked. I'll
0: tell you what happens next. Yeah, and he,
1: walk, <laughs> you know, he would walk it through, and then we'd talk about, okay, so, like, our primary characters, how do we think they're moving in this? And, you know, we sort of figure the chapters. and Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that, was, that was a fun experience, as opposed to kind of what I'm usually doing, which is, you know, this very long, lonely walk through a novel uh, where you get to the end, uh, but, you, you know, the whole journey's by yourself.
0: It's nice to have someone helping you along the way. Why not? Yeah, it's
1: like if you're someone who like typically like you know goes and does like you know runs by themselves early in the morning, and then one day you know you go run at like one in the afternoon with a friend.
0: Yeah, yeah I do. Elliot, this has been a blast. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah,
1: my, my pleasure.
0: Um, are you on Instagram, social media, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Okay, and uh, I always ask, what's your favorite bookstore? Hmm. Well. I'm a DC guy, so I'd have to say politics and prose. But I also have to give a shout out to Lemuria Books in uh, Mississippi is a great one. I, yeah, there, there, there's so many uh, really, really great ones. Uh, Ox- Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi is another great one. Love it. Um, uh, yeah, Michael Ferris
0: Smith gave a shout out to them.
1: Yeah, they're fantastic. Uh, and I gotta say, like support your local booksellers, particularly right now. It's been oh, a rough yeah. year yeah, for for the, for the Indies, so we got we gotta, we gotta, we gotta help them out. Elliot. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, most definitely. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Yeah. You will. Later. Bye.